0: grab that one. Yep. (laughs) That'll work. Whatever you need to do. We'll get it figured out. Well, good morning, everybody. I'm so glad to be here. It's kind of neat being outside again. And uh, back to some unique challenges as the sun came out and disappeared and came back and so, if you need to uh, adjust yourself for a little more shade, do that or bundle up whatever uh, make do and uh, uh, when uh, Tyler was doing the announcements uh, i I was stuck on on two things he said. he talked about the uh the baptism class coming up and then uh, the membership overview. And I was just struck how important those two things are, uh, not just in the life of the church, but in, in the life of every believer, that uh, those are essential. That uh, when you read through the New Testament, the first thing that someone does when they respond to the gospel is is they're baptized, right? They're kind of one of the first times we see it um, after Jesus' baptism is uh, that uh, the the Ethiopian eunuch, as he's traveling and, uh, and he's literally, there's some water. Why can't I get baptized right now? We're just going to stop what we're doing and get ba- baptized, and that's how essential it is. So if you're a follower of Christ and you've made a decision to trust him and you haven't been baptized yet, how important that is. Uh, so I would encourage you to do that. And then and then membership is the same thing, and, and I'm always kind of uh, struck by that one because it tends to be not something we, we think about a lot. Like, I'm a Christian, and why do I need to be a member of a church? It sounds very country club-like, and it is so not that. It is like the opposite, right? Because a country club, you you pay your dues and then you you get something from it. But church membership, you join so that you can then be a part and serve. And it's so so totally different, but it is so essential for believers to step up and say, I want to be a part of what this church is doing. So I would encourage you both of those. So uh, I, I'm, I'm excited for that and Uh, Thank you, Tyler, for sharing those opportunities. We are actually finishing up Jonah today. And uh, I think I was caught between the difficulty of chapter 2 and the difficulty of chapter 4. Chapter 3 was my favorite when we got there. I I shared that because it has that verse that that has so much hope in it. uh, That It starts off chapter 3 that the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And, and that that's that word of hope that we all could have a second chance, that we could hear the word of the Lord a second time, that that if the first time we went, yeah, okay, and then kind of fell off that path, that 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 literally every day could be that day. Today could be that day for you where you hear the word of the Lord and say, you know what? I heard the word of the Lord a second time, and now I'm going to respond in it. And then chapter four, though, is uh, actually a good reason that John, Jonah would need to hear the word of the Lord a third time because of the way he responds. Because uh, God used really just people that didn't have it all figured out. As much as we forget that, we tend to think that that Look, the Bible's filled with people that that have got it all figured out. And that's why, you know, church, it's a bunch of people that kind of judge me for the way I act or the way I behave. And and yet, neither of those are true, right? That's not reality. It's what people perceive to be reality. And so, there's some people that go, I don't want to go to church because I think everybody's looking at me. Uh, By the way, if you ever go to a church where everybody's looking at you, okay, I'm standing on stage and you're all supposed to look. I get that. That's not what I'm saying. I mean, if you go to church and everybody's looking at you, you're at the wrong church because church isn't to focus on any person. It's to focus on the Lord. And that's what we're supposed to be about. So that's not it. In fact, if the church has things figured out, everyone's kind of focusing on God because they know that that in and of themselves, they're broken too, and they're in need of God's grace. And so... Uh, Jonah finally did what he was supposed to do, right? In chapter two, he prayed from within uh, the fish and he prayed and cried out to God and God heard him and he got vomited out. And then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And then in chapter three, he went to Nineveh and he traveled in the land and people heard the warning that they needed to make a choice, that they had to decide if they were going to be repentant and trust that, that God would do something in them, and they had to respond that way. And they did. People, they tore their clothes, they sat in ash, they cried out to God, they put on the sackcloth, really uncomfortable, as a sign of repentance. And so Jonah finally did what he was supposed to, and God showed them mercy. He didn't give them the punishment that they had earned. The judgment that they deserved. And I will be honest, I sympathize with Jonah. Or am I the only one when you're driving down the road and some Yahoo flies? by seemingly at half the speed of sound. And you're like, are you crazy? You're putting me in danger because of the way you're driving. And what I really want is a police car to be there at the next corner to pull them over and that they, isn't that what they deserve at the very least a ticket? Or you're studying for some big test. You worked really hard on it. You get your score back and you find out there's someone who did even better, but Maybe they didn't do it the most honest way, and somehow they cheated. And your thought is, throw the book at them. That's what they deserve. Jonah knew of the wickedness of the Assyrian Empire. Nineveh, its capital city, they were, they were vile. They were wicked. What did they do that Jonah would want them to have judgment for just a couple of places Nahum 3 1 talking about Nineveh says woe to the city of blood that's how it's described the city of blood full of lies full of plunder never without prey that's the way the city is described I would not want to live anywhere near such a city as that in verse 4 of Nahum 3 because of the many Uh, harlotries, of the harlots, the seductive mistresses of the sorcery, who betrays nations by her prostitution and clans by her witchcraft. I mean, this is really bad stuff. Verse 19, where no healing for your injury, where your wound is severe, all who hear the news of you applaud your downfall for who has not experienced your constant cruelty. That's Nineveh. And then in 2 Kings 19:37 mentions the Assyrian king worshiping a false god and the, his sons actually killing him. In verse 37 of 2 Kings 19, one day while he was worshiping in the temple of his god Nishrach, the sons uh Adramelech and Sherazer put to the uh, put him to the sword. And then they escaped to the land of Ararat and then his son reigned in his place, right? This is the kind of place that Jonah was sent and why he didn't want to go. This is not a good place. This is not a nice place. This isn't a place where you go, you know, I think they really need to be redeemed. They've just made some poor choices. Right? That's not this place. This is a horrible, vile place. And I sympathize with Jonah. This is the kind of people you want to be judged. You want them to have some sort of punishment. Maybe that something will get through and others won't then do the same thing. Nineveh was an unpleasant place. So Jonah wanted judgment for them. So in chapter 4, this is how Jonah responds to God's mercy. Chapter, uh, verse 1 of chapter 4, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, oh, Lord, not this. Is this not what I said when I was yet in my own country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. I might as well die, he says. For it is better for me to die than to live if this is the situation. Right? It's better that I am just not here, that I have to deal with the fact that you were a gracious and merciful God. And then verse 4, God responds, Do you do well to be angry? Is it appropriate for Jonah to be angry in this situation? Now, I would just ask, by the way, don't raise your hands, but have you ever been angry at God is anger ever valid is there ever a time when you go you know what yes anger frustration at God is that valid i'm reminded of paul's words on anger in ephesians 4:26 and 27 where he writes be angry and do not sin he actually says be angry right in your anger it means do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. The issue is not anger, because anger, anger is that reaction. If it's justified, it's our reactionary response, right? That's the issue. Where we react in a thoughtless manner, therein lies sin, when you're out of control. It's important to ask, you know, why, why do we feel what we feel? That's why God asked Jonah if he does well to be angry. It might be a way of saying, look, stop and think about why you're feeling what you're feeling. You need to process that. I was thinking about that this week, and, and, and I was drawn right to the year 2003. It was a, a really talent challenging year for, for me and for my family. Uh, it was a busy ministry year. Uh, I was trying to finish up seminary Uh, I had two small kids at home And so that's always challenging Uh, uh, It was the year that my stepdad died And I remember my wife and I We were arguing about something And it so was not about anything that mattered It wasn't a big deal And, And it and at one point, she said, why are you so angry? And until then, I didn't know that I was. I was just reacting to what was going on around me. And until she asked, I hadn't even thought about it. And of course, in my anger, I said something like, well, you know, you know, I'm just stressed out and there's a lot going on. And, 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 and her response, of course, made me stop again. You know, imagine that. And she said, you know, that sounds like, the way you just described sounds like life, right? That there's stress and there's pressure and there's things to do and there's things on the calendar and, and, and all of that. It just sounds like life. Why is this any different? That's when I realized I was angry at what I was interpreting was the unfairness of life. Right? That that during that time, there was so much going on that just seemed really unfair to me. I was mad about it. Uh, by the way, that was a turning point for me. Because because until that point, until I actually stopped and understood and dealt with it, I was just going to be mad. And probably I was mad at other people. Now Now, I would love to say that 20 years ago on that date, that was it that I haven't dealt with that since because I have too many times. But, but I, I have a feeling I've dealt with it better since then because of that experience, because she helped me process how I was feeling about things. So is it okay to be Angry? It really goes back to you need to stop and assess why you are angry. So there's Jonah. He's really mad at God. He's mad that God didn't judge and punish Nineveh. And God says, hold on, stop, reflect, think about it. Do you do well in your anger? He's talking to God. What should our response be to God when things are going on in our life that are challenging? Now, I was thinking about it this way. Uh, Say uh, your mom, your dad, someone gives you a car for your birthday. Now, what you really wanted was a Tesla, but your mom, your dad, or whoever this person is gave you a Toyota. Do you do well in your anger and go, mom, I really wanted a Tesla, right? Does that, that doesn't make sense, right? I've, I've gotten something for free, something I wasn't owned, something I didn't deserve, something I hadn't earned. Do I do well to be ungrateful, right? Does that make sense? Is that fair? She owed me nothing. I didn't deserve it. In our response to God, we should be grateful for God's mercy and ecstatic about his grace. You see, these are things, what we earned was one thing. God not only didn't give us what we did earn, he gave us something we totally didn't earn in his grace. So we should be grateful. Instead of saying, how come it's not better? As if it could be. There's a reason Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus uh, 520. Giving thanks always for everything to God. The Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks always and in everything. Right? That we would stop and always be giving thanks. Thanks for the good things in life. Right? That there are so many good things that go on. But is that the end of our thanks, that that when we, we thank God for good things, we stop there? What about when things don't go your way, when things aren't always wonderful? Because as I was told 20 years ago, my wife reminded me, this sounds like life, right? And the thing about life is that there's always more life and that life is the good and the bad and the ugly, and it's all put together, and you have to deal with all of it. And so we don't just say, I'm so grateful for the good. What about the things that aren't so good? First well, Thessalonians 5.18, it says, give thanks in all circumstances, all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And so our thankfulness in all circumstances... Right? It's easy when they're good, but how about those during those tough times? We're to be thankful for those too. That when things aren't so great, we're to stop and thank God. Here's why. Because you will be better tomorrow for the challenges you have today. That every one of us are made up of those experiences put together into the person you are now. And and all of them, the good that God brought into your life, those challenges that God brought into your life, all of those work together to put you together, to be who you are. And you are uniquely now equipped for your life, to serve God, to praise him in everything you do. Now, it's really hard, though, in the midst of those challenges. Thank you, God, for persecution. Thank you, God, that I lost my job. Thank you, God, for the economy. Thank you that I had to pay $6 for a gallon of gas. Right? Thank you, God. No, okay. Maybe I'm not thanking God for the gas. Let's be realistic, though, that all of those things put together are for a reason. And God is using all of those So maybe I don't say thank you, God, for the gas prices. But I do say thank you, God, because whatever you're doing, I know your word is so clear that you are working all things for good in my life. And I trust that. So our thankfulness is in all circumstances when it's good and when it's challenging. So Jonah was mad, right? Jonah Went, I want you to judge these people. Bring justice to them. Bring punishment. It's what they've earned. Jonah uh, in uh, verse 5. So this is what Jonah does. Jonah went out of the city and he sat to the east of the city and he made a booth for himself. Right? He put up some shade. He made a booth for himself there. And he sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. (laughs) He sat there going... I know God is merciful and gracious. And I'm mad about it, but I still have hope that justice will come. That judgment will fall. This is Jonah in his anger watching and wanting something bad to happen in Nineveh. All right, this is not Jonah's finest moment. I used to uh, teach at a public high school. This reminds me very much of when the rumors started going around that there was going to be a fight, right? Hey, there's going to be a fight in the quad, and people all start walking that way. And you're like, why is everyone walking that way, right? There was going to be a fight. And when the rumors got more serious, then they started running. For some reason, I never got it then. I don't get it now, but why do people run toward that to watch? Right? Or they want to watch a fight? I, I think it's like that. Uh, that saying that, uh, you can't look away from a train wreck, right? That you have to watch it for some reason. The, uh, the psychologists say that watching an accident, it stimulates empathy. And we're wired to be empathetic. And so maybe Jonah wants to be empathetic. I don't know. Jonah's watching it because he's wanting destruction. And it goes beyond empathy. He wants judgment because he sees that as the only resolution to the sins of Nineveh. He can't see how God not only could not, wouldn't bring judgment but might redeem some of them. He can't see that. Because all he could see is God bring judgment on them. God's ways aren't our ways. And so God can redeem them and so when those circumstances are going on we need to remember we're not the measurers of justice God is God is the one who decides what is just what is appropriate what is the correct response we don't get to decide what is right and just God does And it's a challenge today because we hear so many things out there, right? In our culture, in the media, people we know, we will hear so many things and they will say what is right and wrong and good and just and holy. And yet we don't get to pick. God does. And so God decides what is just and what deserves punishment. We don't. So in Romans 12, 19, it says, beloved, never avenge yourself, right? It's not our job to bring vengeance or justice. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So who's responsible then for Judgment of Nineveh. Who's responsible for judgment of any people around us? It's only God, right? It's not. It's not us. It's not our job to do that. And then also in Romans fourteen four, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, and the Lord is able to make him stand. And so there's this, this idea that sounds like maybe we're not supposed to judge other people. and That's not really what it says. It just means it's not our job to step in and decide for God. That's God's job. Jonah's mad because Nineveh was cruel and merciless empire that tortured and killed in horrible ways. And if there's anyone who should face Judgment and punishment, shouldn't it be Nineveh? And, and, and again, it sounds like, well, maybe we're not supposed to judge. And you've you've probably heard it said judge not, lest ye be judged, right? Often this is thrown into the face of Christians. Right? When a Christian says that's sin, someone pulls up that verse, but you notice that's only part of it. There's no context given. There's more to the verse. The verse comes from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, chapter 7, 1 and 2. Judge not that you not be judged. Verse 2, for the judgment you pronounce will be judged, you will be judged. And the measure you use will be measured to you. There's more to it than that. It's not that we're not supposed to judge. In fact, that's just a silly statement. We judge things all the time. We're constantly judging things. We have to. Right, If we didn't judge things, we would go dangerous places and eat dangerous things and, and, and we wouldn't have any fun because we wouldn't have a way to decide what is fun and good and right and just and yet we do have that. That's part of how God built us. We're made that way. We're supposed to judge things. What we're really saying though is that it's not our job to step in and bring punishment. Right? It's not our job to write people off and say there's no hope for you. What Jonah missed is that God wanted to redeem some of the people in Nineveh. And that there are people that are either living lifestyles that are dangerous and self-destructive and participating in activities that are hurtful. And what God wants to do is to redeem them. The Lord is not slow in keeping his judgment, but he is patient, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. That's what God wants to do. He wants to redeem people. And our job is to be instruments involved in that, to redeem them, not to punish them. So God had a lesson for Jonah. I appreciate God's lesson because he wanted to drive it home and I, and I still get a feeling at the end that Jonah didn't get it and he's still just mad and he'll have to deal with it but but boy for us we need to get the lesson verse 6 Now the Lord appointed a plant and he made it come up over Jonah so literally just like he appointed the fish he he caused it to be he caused a plant to be Now here it is, we we just got some cloud cover, but if the cloud cover wasn't there and the sun was beating down on your head, then if God appointed a plant, we could have a huge tree grow up right here to shade all of us at one time. And we might go, oh, that's nice, right? That's what happened. So it, uh, it might shade to cover his head to save him from discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Verse 7, but when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he, he was faint. And he asked that he might die. And he said, it's better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well? to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry. You just picture Jonah, yes. Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being into a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh? The great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who did not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle, right? Shouldn't I work to save Nineveh? Shouldn't you be an instrument in saving Nineveh? Instead, you're just angry and want them to all perish. Don't you want to save any of them? See, the plant was God's. The shade it provided was God's too. This is a tough one to take. It's God's to do with as he wills. When he he wills mercy, it's not up to us. When he wills judgment, it's not up to us. Our job is to do our job. Everything is not all about us. It is all about God. And it can be hard to see from wherever we're sitting. From our perspective, the world seems to be re- revolving around us. Everything else is distant from this perspective. And yet, that's not God's perspective. We don't, he doesn't see people the way we do in our limited view. Isaiah 40, verse 22 and 23, it is, He who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. Who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness? It's him from his perspective looking at the earth and seeing people very differently than when we look at each other. It's about perspective. So, Anger and judgment is his because he knows when we don't. Since God is sovereign, the plans and the victory are his too. They're, they're not ours. Literally what's going to happen is his. And it's a good thing that he does too <laughs> because he chose us to be a part of it. Right? We're here today because God chose us to be here. Not, not one of us is here by accident. You now, we are all here for a purpose and a reason. And that's God's sovereignty. Now, I'm always reminded of uh, Paul's words to the church in Corinth, uh, chapter 1, verse 27. Starting there, it says, But God chose the foolish of the world to shame the wise. It, and I often, when I see that, when I see the word God chose the foolish, Foolish, I picture me. He chose me, foolish as I am, right? As all the mistakes I've made and the sins that I have done and the, 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 you know, the awkwardness in social situations at times and, 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 and just flat out messing up at times and that, that God could go, you know what? I, I, I can work with Steve. Like, no way. He chose the foolish, me, God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He chose us. You know what? Not because of us, but because of him. He chose us because of his goodness and his grace. And it's not based on what we've earned. It's not based on who we are it's based on his, who he is and his goodness in his sovereignty god chose to work in our lives and through our lives so we step up and say god here am i use me that i might be a part of sharing your good news now if you're confused about that it is pretty simple every one of us have broken god's law and we're sinners And God chose to save us through his son that he would uh, bear our sin on the cross. He took our punishment, scripture says, on the cross. That if we believe and repent, he promises to save us. That we wouldn't have punishment and death, but that we would be redeemed. We would have eternal life and he promises, he calls us children of God. And so that's the gospel, right? Our job is to share that, to live that out, to make that known. And He chose us to do that. I have some next steps for us today. Uh, first of all, my next step today is to reflect on the ways God's, God has chosen me. I'm uh, sorry, God has shown me mercy and granted me grace, right? That we need to stop and reflect and give thanks for that. Uh, Second, uh, thank God for his grace and his justice, because he is uh, righteous and gives justice. And then uh, the third one there, ask God, what is my next step in his plan for my life, right? What are you going to do next, God? Because that's where I want to be. That's what I want to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you that you are so loving and gracious and merciful that you sent your son to die on the cross that we might believe